Hello guys, my name is Isha Khuteta and I welcome you all to Finwood's first official podcast. Before we begin, let's talk about Finwood. Finwood is a community of finance enthusiasts initiated by students of MSc Finance at NMIMS Mumbai. The primary objective of this community is to provide a platform for all the people who have keen interest in finance and to share their views and opinion about the topics related to the industry. We have started our journey by publishing articles on various topics on our blog and today we're taking a step forward with this podcast. The topic for today is valuations and specifically valuation of technology based companies. In September last year, Oyo raised around a billion dollars from the likes of SoftBank at the valuation around 5 billion dollars and now Reports suggest a fresh round of funding might value it around $10 billion. I'm sure a lot of questions must have popped up in your mind too. Like what these tech-based companies are doing that is driving them at such crazy valuations and that too at a breakneck speed. How do the traditional methods of valuations hold up and what do we need to tweak in the process? To answer all our questions, we have Mr. Ashish Rane a senior manager and team lead at Valuations and Advisory Vertical at Aranka, which is a global research and analytics firm in Mumbai. Ashish is an alumni of NYU CERN with nine years of industry experience. Hey Ashish, how are you doing today? Doing well, glad to be here. Okay, so let's just dive right into the uh, topic for today. So people usually in the industry say valuations is more of an art than science. What, are your, what is your view on it? There's surely multiple sides to it, uh, especially with technology companies. It, you can't really rely on traditional approaches or uh, numerical analysis for that matter. Uh, it is science in the, in the form that you have to understand the core value add that this new technology brings it. It might be e-commerce, it might be fintech. It might be marketing advisory technology or some other form of technology that is about to revolutionize your world or the way we live today. <clears throat> the core question still relies uh, or the core question that you need to answer is how is it going to add value? What are its customers? And what is it doing differently that uh, its competitors are not doing today? Right, right, of course. So, uh, like since uh, most of these technology-based startups do not really make revenue that easily. So what do you think is ideally a stable period for them, wherein their cash flows would eventually stabilize? Mm, there wouldn't exactly be a rule of thumb to per se, and that this actually might differ or you might get a grander or better answer if you dissect it by industry. Uh, E-commerce is well in some facts is no longer considered as a uh, new age industry there has been multiple multiple successful exits it has matured into a, a semi-traditional industry as compared to the likes of say fintech right. or or other advertisement technology companies which are still in its uh, infancy so for take e-commerce uh, as, a, as an example uh, maybe after your series d or your series E round, mm. you should seriously start thinking about turning profitable operations mm. and that can be using your uh, commission based structure, that can be using 
taking inventory risk and selling products or by yourself or just uh, selling marketing services for other guys to uh, sell their own products. Uh, FinTech on the other hand is very very new. Uh, at this point it will just be a growth driven sector where people, investors, entrepreneurs and companies that are currently in this space would focus more on growth and maybe a couple of years down the lane if things move drastically in this shape, in this form they will think about turning profitable operations. Okay, so like, okay, just to follow up with that, recently like in the month of April, Uber went up with the IPO. So during the filings, they even mentioned that they wouldn't be ever able to achieve profitability for that matter. Mm -hmm. So how do you think, you know, this would affect them in terms, not just Uber, the likes of Uber or companies which fall under that whole technological umbrella, like you just mentioned, like eventually, since they wouldn't be able to make a profit and their revenue wouldn't be revenue might be increasing at an exponential rate but then they wouldn't be able to meet up with the expenditure how do you think you know it'll work out for them so the bottom line question or one big assumption that you need to factor in technology based companies are based on the fact that they will be able to scale their operations right uh, Uber may not be making revenues today, but surely the, if they continue with their growth rate, mm-hmm. they may not be able to uh, do profits today, but if they continue with their growth rate, which is much, much more higher than their operating expenses mm-hmm. uh, uh, growth, mm-hmm. at some point of time they will be profitable. But with that said, that some point of time is very, very hypothetical and is might just be way, way out into the future. The other side of this public offering would be you're not valuing Uber today for its profitability. You're valuing today for its enormous reach across continents, its brand value Mm. as to what means when you book an Uber, Mm. you have certain uh, reliability that the guy will come on time, you will have a good experience. If you have any issues, the customer service uh, desk will resolve it. They may even refund your entire amount. And the fact that when you book a ride, the ride will come on time, as opposed to the fact that uh, you would have uh, hurdles and a problem booking a cab, like the Meru's and the uh, taxis, the usual taxis. Plus, fare is quite discounted because they are matching the buyers and the sellers in a free marketplace. Right. To answer your question, that yes, it is not profitable, but it is wasn't valued on its profitability in right. any which way. It is valued on its reach and what it can do with the enormous accesses it has. You can market products, you can become an advertising platform, you can do the Uber Eats thing, you can venture into other uh, hyper delivery or local delivery aspects. So the sky is the limit for this, but uh, with most technology companies, IPO, MA, or any other exit for that matter, you wouldn't really you would factor in profitability in some form, but it's not going to be your primary uh, acquisition rationale or investment rationale. Okay. Okay. So now, like you just mentioned, they like Uber offers a lot of discounts. For that matter, a lot of technological-based companies they tend to do that just to address a higher consumer base, which in turn leads to leads them to make a lot of um, losses or like you know they incur a lot of expenses. How do you think you know they can just you know? Um, not have this as a drawback in spite of all the companies doing the same thing for that matter even Lyft would be offering some or the other offers or discount 
while it's operating with Uber. But then how do you think they would compete without making any losses because of so this? So perpetual discount is never a business strategy. Right. If you, it's, it's as silly as saying that I will sell a hundred dollar uh, worth of goods at 99 cents and I will make uh, profits on the mm -hmm. volume. You'll always be incurring losses. With discounts, the whole uh, idea is to get the customer into the Uber experience or get the customer acclimatized as to what your business model in it model is and the hope that they will stick on without the discount going forward. Simple discounts will never run a business model. You have to have that value add. Again, it comes back, you have to solve a genuine problem for the customer. Right. Only then and there, uh, he will, he or she will stay with your business. Discounts is just merely a, a marketing gimmick just to attract, attract attention. attention. It can continue for a year, it can continue for two years, it will not be a perpetual uh, aspect. So you can't keep it throughout the life cycle of the company, no. it makes no sense. Okay, so like earlier you did mention about the growth rate. How do you think, you know, while valuing a, valuing the company, we could we would like determine the growth rate since the technologies are ever changing and no two technological company have a similar model. So how do you think we can just, you know, factor that in? Well, that uh, comes up from a commercial and a technical diligence aspect. Mm -hmm. Even Uber two years ago and Uber today is a drastically different environment, not just in terms of its business offerings, just the platform in itself. There have been so many additional facilities, there have been so many additional features that enhances the user experience, so to speak. The day Uber stops reinventing or uh, innovating its application, it might just be out of business. And that's the whole whole idea or whole value offering with technology companies that you are giving something better than what's in the market. Right. Uh, that's why the traditional industries are at such a standstill. It's a asset heavy structure. The change, the uh, ability to implement a change for the better of the customer, mm. consumer good is not that easy as compared to the technology companies. With tech companies, it's not as easy as a flipping a switch, but it's comparatively easier to implement a, a radical change to keep the user engaged. Right. Facebook for that matter. Right. It, it is, it was, and it will always be a social networking platform. Right. But now it has you know, messenger features, it has integrated Instagram and other WhatsApp uh, features as well. So it's innovating in that sense or else you might, I don't know if you know, but they have, Facebook wasn't exactly the first messenger service. Right. India had its own uh, Facebook called as Orkut or something. And then you, you even had likes of MySpace. Right. Those right. were good platforms right. too. They died because they did not innovate enough. Right. They weren't simple enough for your end consumer. Some problems, the problems which Facebook that addressed directly or head on and that's why it has such a stickiness mm. and users are not so willing to leave Facebook to go to MySpace or some other platforms. Right. So like considering all these factors, how do you determine a particular growth rate or is there any like or you do not actually go about with that? No, you do go about it but not in the traditional sense of uh, for a calculation purpose. So for example, Facebook's growth rate could be thought about as to how many, what's the proportion of your overall demographics that enter uh, a certain age pool, 18 to 24, who have access to cell phones, mm -hmm. the millennial generation mm -hmm. for that matter, who have access to other social networking facilities. Mm -hmm. You would want to target those guys. You would want to market your product to those guys. Right. Uh, 
Um, it is not as simple as saying that you can benchmark Facebook's growth with the growth of uh, your population or so to speak. Okay. But uh, it is, you can launch new technology platforms. You mm -hmm. can come up with, uh, I don't know, Facebook just launched a cryptocurrency for right. that matter. That's a big pivot into a different uh, uh, business model altogether. It, so in that respect, it would be kind of hard to assess Facebook's growth, you would rather want to assess the growth of its individual segments. Okay. The social networking uh, aspect or the uh, platform mm -hmm. itself could grow maybe 10 to 15% based on the advertising spend that the companies are making in platforms such as this, which right. is still a better option to compare to the traditional media. And the cryptocurrency would be whatever adoption mm -hmm. the financial community has for uh, Facebook's cryptocurrencies. Right. Okay. So like moving on, so like we just talked about cash burn, like a lot of technology based companies are into cash burn, let's say like Amazon for that matter, it's too much into marketing, Tesla, we can't technically classify it into technology, but it's a hybrid of automobile plus technology and it's spending a lot on R&D for its batteries and everything. Again, how do you think it's vital enough for the company's survival to spend so much cash on these um, secondary, ideally these secondary purposes rather than on your pr primary operations in terms of the company lasting around? So R&D is not a secondary offering for any technology. Okay. It is investing into the future. Hmm. Without R&D investments, you will be selling what you are today. Right. And given the technology curve that we have experienced over the last two decades or so, it will be obsolete and it's just a matter of time. It might be five years, it might be two years. So we can't think research and development expense as a secondary expense. Hmm. And it's much more important than uh, your manufacturing expenses. Right. It's much more important than the marketing itself. If you don't have a new technology, think about if you look at the same ad again and again for 10 years, mm -hmm. at some point of time, you're just going to say there's nothing new with this company. I'm not going to be its customer. So there is, there has to be something new for the marketing guys to brag about, for the sales guys to brag about. Right. And that comes from R&D. So uh, Tesla is a particularly good example. Their entire uh, business model mm. is relied on the fact how they lower the battery costs to the amount mm. that it make they make the vehicle affordable enough for an average American or an average consumer uh, and then just enhance their profits. They're not mm. going to drop their sales price, but they do have to drop their cost structure. And R&D also has two components. One is the innovation aspect, which increases your sales. Right. The other is the cost aspect, which reduces your operating costs. Okay. Both of them help you uh, increase your marginal profits. Okay. So like we were on Tesla. So how do you think companies, like the key management team of the company would affect in terms of the uh, the company raising funds in the future or how the other like venture capital companies or private equity companies come up for a valuation structure for those companies before fu uh, funding them. Like for example, Tesla, so the face, uh, the, the person behind Tesla is Elon Musk. Most people t end up saying that the only reason it's able to uh, garner so much attention is because of him. Since it's not like the only electric vehicle com company, manufacturing company in the whole electric vehicle no, segment. It is 
one of the very few that have been successful. Mm. Faraday Futures has a better technology than Tesla for that mm. matter, but they did go not exactly a bankruptcy, but sort of a dissolution event back in 1560. So it's not just about technology companies, the entrepreneurial spirit also has something to do with it mm. and keep Team management uh, is obviously a, a big aspect with any startup for that. Mm. If you don't have a guy motivated enough to run that business, the business is not going to be successful. And in most cases, for startups particularly, Tesla may not be a good example in this case. With startups, every any VC, Series A, Series B, is investing in the guy. Right. Can I trust him enough with him or her enough with my money mm. to do what's in the greater good of the company mm. that it maximizes both mine and his fortune? Mm. Tesla, Elon Musk also recently had some disciplinary issues where there was a uh, there was a proposition or a uh, mandate to get him out of the board, but the board voted in his favor because he is. He's excited about the company. He, he wants to do something new for the company. And that's what investors like. That his passion, his love for the technology, the fact that he can encourage and excite other people in the company has tremendous value. Okay, so like looking at this aspect from a valuation point of view, how do you think does like having a right person or like a right key management help in terms of valuing the company? Or does it... It does not have that much of an effect for that. Late matter. stage companies, maybe uh, you might be able to, infra, sorry, uh, traditional company industries, you may be able to find just a good guy right around the right mm. the block or something. But tech based companies, there are very few guys who understand the ins and outs of a company from the startup phase. Right. So, this key person discount, which we call in terms of key management, is substantially high with technology companies. Okay. Even Jeff Bezos for that matter. He might be just running the strategy operations. He might not know the code behind Amazon.com. Right. But he knows the people. He knows the people who have worked on it. He mm -hmm. knows the issues that have come up over the years and how he has resolved with in terms of supply chain coordination. Mm -hmm. So that certainly is a very important aspect. Okay. So, like most of the startups, they are not able to make law, uh, they are make, they are unable to make profit. So we cannot consider the EBITDA multiple or like the PAT multiple while we are looking at the market approach for that. So is it suffice enough to judge the value of the company on just the revenue multiple? In because there are a lot of other parameters which go into consideration. So, with this, you can't really do again. These are tech-based companies. Right. The traditional approaches of valuation don't necessarily apply mm. and when you're talking about these there are quite a few e-commerce companies that are profitable just so you know so right. it's not that every technology company is unprofitable but all you see in the news is the ubers and the lifts of the world right given that uh, a vc or a pe investment in a tech-based company who is unprofitable today mm. the value is not because of what they are today the value is what they can become in five years from now Okay. A VC investment and a PE investment is always forward-looking. Mm. I, I have something as a PE investor, I would have something to bring to the table that would enhance the value mm. in terms of revenue growth or cutting costs, which in turn would become profitable. Mm. Uh, and I exit maybe at a 2x multiple than what I entered at generating value for me and the company. 
So uh, in terms of valuing an unprofitable company, uh, you can always look at revenue, which is a proxy for your reach. But uh, profitability, EBITDA or operating profit in the financial or accounting sense can be transitioned or can be pivoted to an average value per user or average contribution per user as long as that is positive and at some point of that time that overtakes average expense per user, you're in a good business model. And after that, the scale will just bring on additional marginal profits for you and that's that's your entire value. So basically you're suggesting we can at times shift to a particular multiple which is just a industry specific multiple for that matter or like a company specific? Yes. Okay. So moving on, like generally it's said that DCF model is most suitable for like a young company while valuing it. In, because a lot of other methods do not come up with the right value or are just just like some really approximation of it. What do you think about that? So I personally have always been a fan of market approaches because by definition fair market value means what the market is willing to pay you, what the market is willing to value you at. But with startups it's obviously a challenge. There aren't really similar companies or guideline public companies for the lack of it. Uh, to match your performance or to match your uh, uh, value, potential value proposition against the like of multi-billion dollar companies. Mm-hmm. So at that point of time, uh, the GBC uh, analysis or relative valuation also becomes a very subjective exercise. Mm-hmm. And uh, making those uh, adjustments for a re- to compare a $3 billion company to someone who is not even $3 million, is a very 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 difficult task so you have to resort to approaches like dcf which build the value ground up as to tell me how many users you'll have in year one tell me how much expense you'll incur to service those users Mm -hmm. you arrive at a profit over the five-year period you do a discounted cash flow Mm -hmm. you come up with a cost of capital to do that that gives you a value so the whole purpose of doing that is because you have greater comfort in the bottom of drivers rather than the market valuing company as small as your company. Yeah, because you are unable to find a like to like comparison for that matter for your company. Correct. Okay. So lately, um, is it so can we is it possible to automate the DCA valuation for a stable company or uh, using neural network to come up with a with the stable FCFE for that company? You could, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, if you look at it, there are no more than 10 inputs, you know, maybe 7 inputs in right. DCF. Uh, if you can devise an algorithm to check for the growth rates, check for the working capital, capital, capital expenditure considerations, cost of capital, and your terminal value calculations, sure, you can automate a DCF. So because what happens in this case is a lot of assumptions which you end up taking, they go redundant. Mm-hmm. because whatever the it's like a feedback loop whatever you put in it for the next input the earlier output is considered and that's how it goes about with it so do you think it this would be more accurate in terms of valuation than your traditional assumption based dcf the market approaches oh no 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 this neural network dcf method 
it could again it depends on the quality of your assumptions at right. the end of the day if you're comfortable with the assumptions you're comfortable with the analysis and the overall value right so i guess it should be worth a shot okay i think that's about it i hope you had a good time on a closing note i would like you if you could just suggest our listeners with anything like in terms of like some books you could recommend them to read on finance or like some movies or tv series finance based billions is a good uh, show it's a little more dramatic but you get to learn a thing or two about stock market and how hedge funds go about strategizing their investments silicon valley is a good show to watch for how how a technology firm right. goes from ground up to mm-hmm. a successful exit right. and in terms of hardcore finance um, there are uh, two or three margin call is a, a good movie on the 2008 financial crisis and the banking crisis of the banks of 2008 is also a good movie how the us financial mm. uh, industry came to a standstill in terms of books mm, if uh, if it's valuation lamodana always has been a go to buy and there are a couple of the books i don't i can't exactly think of but even if you read articles and opinions of other people about how to go about valuing technology companies I'm sure you'll get some insights out of it and devise your own method for that. Oh, all right. Thank you so much. I hope you had a good time. I certainly did. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah.